someone mentioned to me this week that perhaps the timing of this particular topic from Proverbs on anger is a perfect follow-up to last week's discussion of the family and parenting. And I think that there's something to that, there really is. Think of that context as being one of the, I hate to use the word best, but it is best, to see our shortcomings regarding anger and to see the grace of God working in us. So uh, it is good, this is a good follow-up. I don't want to limit the sermon just to that though. This is a broader issue of anger. In fact, you could look around you, look, uh, look at history, look into the Bible itself, and you'll see that anger has been and is everywhere around us and always has been. It's a feature of life, particularly after the fall in its sinfulness, and therefore we have to deal with it. And now, I'm not just going out on a limb to say that we live in the angriest generation ever, although you might wonder sometimes looking at social media, um, but it's certainly very visible on social media, and also from our political and cultural leaders, from both major political parties, less often but still often in the churches sometimes, in our own churches, in our own lives, in our own families, we see it everywhere. We've always seen it everywhere. And it leads to all sorts of problems, and some of them are relatively minor and some are catastrophic. Uh, we see rage, we see revenge killings, we see family killings, we see feuds among families. Uh, all of us see the consequences of this. In fact, I remember a story from my younger days in my own church that I grew up in. Some relatives on both sides of my family fell into some kind of feud with each other. They wouldn't talk to each other for 10 years. And then sort of toward the end of this, I remember asking some people in my family, uh, what uh, caused this? They couldn't remember. We just know we don't like them. We just know they're bad, they're wrong. This is the, these are the kinds of consequences that we see here. You remember we've been looking at the Proverbs, looking for wisdom, how to get it, and what it looks like in particular. The first few chapters, you'll remember, were designed to introduce us to the importance of wisdom. Um, it calls out to us figuratively, personified by the woman, just as foolishness also calls out to us, also personified by a woman, to entice us. We're exhorted not to listen to that siren song of foolishness, but to seek the woman of wisdom. By the way, you remember the story about the sirens and the siren song. If you've had mythology, you know this. It's a great analogy to use for this kind of situation of the foolish woman. Ulysses, on his way back from the Trojan War, trying to get home, sails past this island full of the sirens. The sirens were women. See, the same analogy who sang very beautiful, enticing songs. And once the men of the ships that went by the island uh, fell prey to that enticement and went to the island, the women would literally eat them. So that's the kind of thing we're, that we, we're supposed to see with this, the woman of foolishness. We're exhorted not to listen to the siren song. In contrast, wisdom calls us to life. Wisdom itself 
can be described as knowing and doing the right thing at the right time, but motivated by the desire to live a life of flourishing for the kingdom of God, for his sake, for the sake of Christ. It's practical, applied knowledge, but not for the sake of self. It's not just knowing the ropes, not just knowing how to get along and get ahead. It's much more than that. Generally speaking, Garrison has made clear that uh, it usually leads us to a life of flourishing, usually. However, the principles of wisdom, and we have to be clear on this, uh, are not, don't work like a computer where you click a button or you click a, um, or you click a key and something happens as a direct result of that. A follows B. It doesn't work like that. Wisdom principles are not like this. This is a little logic problem here. Quick one. If A, then B. So you do A, and then B happens automatically. That's not how wisdom works. It generally follows that if we live a life of wisdom, we will have a flourishing life. In Christ, that's what we're looking for. Wisdom sayings are like a necklace of pearls strung together. Last week, we focused on wisdom for parenting. The theme verse was Proverbs 22:16. Today, we focus on anger, the problem of anger, and what it looks like. The theme verse for today is Proverbs 14, 29. So I, might, I would like to ask you if you're able to stand and hear the word of God as I read Proverbs 14, 29 for us. And I'll be referring to other texts as well, but Proverbs 14, 29 is our foundational beginning text today. Proverbs 14, verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you've given us this word to guide us in our lives. You haven't left us alone. We thank you further that you've given us your spirit to dwell in us, to give us power to overcome the sins in our lives. And Father, we thank you most of all for the foundation of all of this through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ our Lord. For each of us who has placed all of our trust and belief in him for salvation. Father, I pray that you would give me clarity and accuracy. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and the power to put these things into practice for your glory. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. I'll begin by giving you an outline, a quick outline of how I intend to proceed today. And I, I'm not alliterating, I'm sorry. Um, Garrison does a great job of that. Brian even did double alliteration when he preached. That's really impressive. No alliteration, I'm sorry. So here's my outline. Number one, anger is a problem. That's self-evident. That may seem obvious or not, but the Bible is clear. Anger is a problem. Two, anger has a solution, but not quite what we might think in every case. Number three, anger does have a place in life. That seems surprising, but limited 
Anger does have a place in life, but it's limited. And finally, anger comes in different forms. That last one will be incorporated into the other three. Anger comes in different forms. Anger's a problem. Why and to whom is it a problem? The theme verse itself lets us know what I think everyone does know. Uh, it says 29a, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. So that's the positive side of it. The one who's slow to anger has great understanding, or we could say wisdom. This verse doesn't say you won't ever be angry, although it's possible to hide it externally. I'm going to get to that more later. But it does imply that you can, with help, catch your thoughts and feelings before they get out of hand, before um, they go too far. And we'll say more about that as well. 27b, the bad news is, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. What does hasty mean here in this context? It means quickly, or better yet, too fast, or better yet, premature, before thinking, having a short fuse, for example. So a hasty temper then connotes a person who has a tendency to become angry easily before even thinking about the consequences. Now, I would guess that everyone in here has encountered that before. Oops, I shouldn't have said that. Or better yet, you should say, I shouldn't have even thought that, but I did, right? And we've, we've all had that. I've had that. And here it can be both an isolated reaction of anger. We may not be prone to anger, but we do sometimes have fits of anger. Or it may be a tendency that has this tendency to rule you. It could be either one or both. Now notice the last words here. Impatience, anger, temper gives support to what is foolish. That's kind of a, a loose translation of what of, of the translation given in the new uh, in the ESV translation. Anger, temper uh, gives support to what is foolish. So you're supporting your foolishness by leading to stupid words and behavior that harm others and cause you trouble. And it's all out there for people to see when it expresses itself publicly. Bottom line, anger is a problem. Once again, I keep repeating this. This is confirmed elsewhere in Proverbs. We have Proverbs 15, 18, for example. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. This is a great little verse here. If things were calm before, he acts like a person who thrust a stick into a hornet's nest. Anyone tried that? Or into a wasp's nest. You know what happens when you do that. You stir up a lot of trouble for yourself. And the hornets are not too happy about it either. So that's what's connoted here. Suddenly, several people are, are arguing, shouting, angry themselves, maybe feeling hurt. It spreads. Genuine peace is gone. Maybe it's gone for a long time. Now, this kind of anger begins inside when the fruit of the Spirit is missing and then expresses itself outwardly. And, of course, it's sinful. 
One example of this is in James 3, verses 4 through 12. The tongue is the mechanism, if you look at James 3, the tongue is the mechanism, the means of expressing anger. But look at what it does. It, what it does is it sets the world on fire, the, the analogy that's used here. This is the picture of someone who causes trouble for everyone around him or her in their anger. And significant trouble because it says it sets the world on fire. That's a, that's a strong metaphor there to be using. And the tongue is just the means. It starts inside, obviously. There are other verses, similar verses in Proverbs that flesh out sinful anger. We have Proverbs 16.32, the opposite of a quick temper. We have Proverbs 19.11, where the word good sense is used to connote the person who's slow to anger. He has good sense. He's showing wisdom in that case. We have Proverbs 22, 24. Stay away from the anger-prone person because you'll cause him to be angry probably and you yourself may be caused to be angry in that case. Stay away from him. And see Ecclesiastes also, 7, 9. Anger lodges in the heart of fools. Notice the word lodges. It dwells there. It lives there. It's hard to root out because it's got a place there in you. The upshot of all these verses is that wisdom resides in the slow-tempered person, the peacemaker, who, sees, who seeks true peace, not just the absence of outward conflict. So when you have the opposite, the wise person who is slow to anger, you have the person who doesn't just want everything to be calm outwardly. He wants peace inwardly as well as outwardly. And that's what we should seek. The foolish person, on the other hand, is quick-tempered and causes great harm. Ruins himself. The theme is reiterated in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. But especially verse 21, if you turn there with me, Matthew 5. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 21, he has, he has begun his discussion of the Old Testament law and then how the New Testament or the New Testament builds on that, expands it, fulfills it is the word that he uses, uh, brings it to its fruition, shows it as it's intended to be lived out. So look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. We all know that. Murder is a sin. It's a moral sin. It's a crime in most places in the world, everywhere in the world. It's a bad thing. But, he adds, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's not saying that anger is literally murder. But he is saying that anger is just as big a problem as murder in terms of the relationship of the two. 
he amplifies this. Anger is like murder. In some cases, it might literally lead to murder. That's possible. But it's not something we can take lightly if we desire to live out the gospel. Jesus is making that clear. Because he's taking us back to the Old Testament. Don't murder. That's an external act. Okay, don't murder. We understand that. We shouldn't murder. But do we understand that we should not get angry for no reason with, our, our, with other human beings? Do we truly understand that? Because that's just as bad in comparison. It's a sin to be mortified and dealt with. Mortified, killed, basically, without excuse. And we can't make the excuses, for example, well, I'm just like that. You ever found yourself saying that? I hope not, but I think we may have all at one time. It's just, that's just the way I am. I'm just naturally angry, and I blow up at people. Hey, just overlook it. Forget it. No problem. Or another alternative that we say to ourselves sometimes is, I have good reason to be angry at X. He did something to me. She did something to me. I have a good reason to be angry with them. Be careful. So what is the source, the cause of anger? What is the root of anger, ultimately? This is where things get down to the very core of ourselves, what we are inwardly, at the core of ourselves, what drives us and motivates us. And here we go to James chapter 4. This is a classic place to look for the, the root cause of anger. And if you would turn there with me as well. James 4, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Sounds like anger at work here. Is it not this, that your passions, there's some anger, are at war within you? You desire and do not have. So you murder, maybe literally, maybe figuratively. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is the heart of matters, literally the heart. What causes quarrels? You might be tempted in light of today to say, well, it's anger that causes quarrels. That's true. But anger is the immediate cause of the quarrels. What goes deeper than that? Verse 1, our passions, our unruly emotions, and their expressions cause the anger. But what causes the passions? Keep digging deeper. What causes the passions? Verses 2 and 3 give us the answer. The desire to have and, to, and coveting goes deeper than that. In essence, what's going on here, we fallen humans tend to be driven by selfishness. We don't have what we want or we have what we don't want and we think we've got to have it or else. I'm upset by that, we say, or we think to ourselves. In essence, the extreme result is sometimes murder, but not always, to get what we want. Or we get frustrated that I don't have what I covet, 
and I cause fights and quarrels out of anger. James finishes by charging, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Wrong motives. That's what I want to do with this. Selfishness, self-centeredness, uh, a classic aspect of the core of our humanity after the fall, which we have to deal with. Why then do we become prone to anger, quick-tempered, have fits of anger? Because at our core, we are self-centered humans after the fall, because of the fall. This is a rather dismal picture I'm painting. The consequences are frequently harmful and sometimes catastrophic. Anger has a solution, though. Anger has a solution. Are the believers here, are you, as a believer, if you've trusted Christ, are you doomed to express anger helplessly, to escalate it? Are you doomed to feel anger all the time in your life when things don't go the way you want them to go? Is there no way to escape the problem? Is it uncontrollable? There's good news and very good news. The best news, the news that really trumps all other news, is first and foremost the gospel itself. That's the foundation. Nothing can happen at the root of anger without the gospel. As we've looked at Proverbs, we've seen this over and over again. Wisdom is to be desired. Foolishness in all its forms is to be rejected. Yes, non-believers can control their anger outwardly, but what about dealing with its root causes? We have the, the possibility of doing that. To truly gain wisdom and address foolishness requires inner change. Dealing with anger is not just not shouting or exploding at someone. What we need is a change of heart. And we can have that through the gospel. The gospel promises forgiveness of sins when we repent and place our faith firmly in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It continues. The promise doesn't end with the, with the assurance of a right relationship, although that's crucial. We have received the Holy Spirit if we've embraced Jesus. Galatians 5, 19 and 23 could not be clearer. The works of the flesh include anger, but the fruit of the Spirit is the opposite of that. That's produced in us by the Holy Spirit. Against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. But that's inward change. We need the inward change as believers. Transformation. And it's possible to be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 states this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18. My Bible has thin pages, I'm sorry. 17 and 18. But, wait, hold on. Yes. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformation is possible for the believer. 
So we should be encouraged by that. Now, to move on. There's a solution. There's real hope. I'll come back to that again in the end with the conclusions. But let's move on. Anger has its place. Now, wait. I've just talked about anger as something bad. It's a sin. But it has its place. Not all anger is sinful. So it's a good place as any to talk about that. Anger is an emotion or a passion or a reaction, an emotional reaction to something that happens to us or something we don't like. It's an emotion that responds to events outside of us or thoughts inside of us, which I've already shown you in James. Because of the fall, anger is usually a sinful response, but can it ever be legitimate? Can it ever be godly? The short answer is yes, but be careful. Let me explain so we don't think that we have excuses when we don't have excuses. I think it is fair to say that anger is a part of the makeup of every human person. Like everything else, the fall distorted anger, but it did not make it sinful all the time. There are two situations in which anger can be legitimate. First, God's anger. Okay, that's obvious. There are 269 instances in the Bible, if, for those of you who love num numbers, 269 instances of the use of the word anger or angry, whether it's in Hebrew or Greek. Anger or angry. Out of those, the vast majority deal with the anger of God. And it's always legitimate for God to be angry. Literally, hundreds of examples of God's anger. Now, is there a defect in God? Is he just a mean-spirited God? Is that the problem? Is it God's problem? Think about it this way. God is perfect. We're told that over and over in the Bible. God is perfect. In all of his characteristics and responses, he is perfect in everything. His anger must, his anger is always a response to sin and evil and injustice. Always. Only God's anger, therefore, is always appropriate. Always appropriate. God himself can be angry and never sin. Is angry and never sins. Jesus, as well, the Son of God, God the Son, also became angry. You remember the story of the, 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 uh, the temple where he overturned the money changers' tables in the temple. He was angry. A couple of other instances. He, as well, expressed perfect, legitimate, godly anger, the anger that comes from God himself. So again, only God's anger is always appropriate, but it is always appropriate. Now, I don't have time to answer the question of whether God's anger means he has emotions like us or changes as a result of anger. Uh, talk to me or somebody after the service to discuss that because that would take hours if not days, if not a whole book, to discuss that. But keep in mind, God is legitimately angry. The second instance in which anger can be legitimate is when it is appropriate for us to be angry at some particular uh, circumstance. Let me mention two verses on this. Proverbs, first of all, Proverbs 14, 29, once again, whoever is slow to anger, notice, it doesn't say we're never angry. It says slow to anger with some event or situation. 
The problem pointed out in Proverbs 14 that, that we read is the human tendency to act before wise consideration. It doesn't say we can't be angry. It says our problem is acting before wise consideration. We have to, make, we have to discern whether anger ought to be the response or ought not to be the response. We can't automatically say, well, it's right to be angry or it's wrong to be angry. Wisdom gives us the ability to discern this. Think first, we're sort of being told. But you may conclude, if you're wise, that your angry, anger is appropriate. If you see, for example, clear injustice, if your sense of justice is biblical, be careful, it should be biblical, it would hardly be wrong to express or react in anger over that situation. Now, I say clear injustice because it's pretty easy for us humans to rationalize. Oh, that's an injustice, yes. Well, why? Because I think it is. Well, why? Because it is. Well, why? Because I think it is. Well, you get yourself going around in a circle here. No, not always. Don't rationalize your anger. Be wise. We may appropriately feel and even express anger over sin, for example. Obviously, sin is an affront to God, and we should feel anger over sin too. But this response must not degenerate into attacks on the person, ad hominem attacks. It can't degenerate into that, or fits of anger based on some sort of self-righteousness. Well, I'm better than they are. No. Moreover, you cannot legitimately react in anger when there is no sin or injustice. It doesn't count. I'm sorry. That would be sinful anger. Exercise wisdom. If you feel anger arising, in those cases, stop. Consider. Be slow to anger. The other New Testament verse is one that's very controversial. That's Ephesians 4.26. I want to take a look at that one. This is difficult. Difficult verse. So let's take a quick look at it here. Ephesians 4.26. And uh, there we are. 4.26 states... Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, you've all read this before, I'm sure. What in the world does it mean? The first half is the worst part. It's the hardest to interpret. It's hardest to understand. But it seems to mean something like, in your anger, do not sin. Which, if I'm right, and there are other commentators who agree with that in different senses, but different translations. In your anger, do not sin. If I'm right, then there is a time when you may legitimately be angry. There's also a time you may not. Other commentators translate it like this in kind of the imperative. Be angry and do not sin. So they're telling you, be angry. Be angry at what? Well, it depends on the circumstances. And when you are angry, don't sin. That means you have to have discernment to know when you've sinned in your anger and when you have not sinned. When it's legitimate, 
godly anger when it's sinful anger. Either way, the point is that there is a time to be angry. As one person wrote, if you aren't angry about some things, not everything, but some things, there may be something wrong with you. You have no emotions at all. They just don't care. Examples. Two examples. Anger at abortion. Anger at the way some people treat other people. Anger at corruption. Anger at legal injustices. And those are just a few of the lists that you can go on and on and talk about. But let God be your example in this. Let God be your example. Let his word show you and give you the wisdom that you need to discern that. But in addition, be wise in your anger. Know its limits. Know the limits beyond which you should not go. So now let's draw a few conclusions, a few. Uh, there may be as many as nine, but it depends on what you consider an application here. Let's just call them all conclusions. That will help. First of all, and this is more of a question, how can we all apply the basic principles of wisdom without anger? To whom should we apply them? Well, the obvious, first of all, the obvious even though anger is appropriate sometimes, you cannot be angry all the time at everything and everyone. <laughs> I, I suppose that's no great revelation. But you can't. We need to be reminded of this. If you are, then you really kind of face a problem that's, that was mentioned first in the wording of Genesis 4-7. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? And Cain killed Abel? And what does God say to Cain before he does that? He says, sin is crouching at the door and is likely already mastering you. That's a loose translation. It wants to master you. It wants to dominate you. What you and I need then is self-control and wisdom. We cannot let the sin, sinful anger dominate us. And we must know the limits of legitimate anger through wisdom. Be aware that you could develop a proneness to anger. That's possible, or may already have it. Almost anyone could, but you can only become aware if you're seeking the Spirit to make you discerning, and if you seek guidance from the Scriptures. You can't do it otherwise. You can't go along thinking to yourself, well, maybe this is good, maybe this is bad, I'm just going to get angry anyway. Whenever I feel like it, it's going to control me. Uh, but you've never thought about looking into the Word to see what the limits of that should be and the sinfulness should be. We need that guidance if we have a tendency toward proneness to anger. In particular, be on guard for anger that can destroy true Christian unity. That's happened before in churches. Between you and another believer or between you and the entire community of believers. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be, that there could not be times of legitimate anger. It does mean your anger should not devolve into sinful anger that destroys the unity of the body. Beware of the anger that causes strife and stirs up trouble and destroys lives and relationships. Now, be careful, yes, but keep in mind, 
not every expression of disagreement is anger. I think we need to know that. It's pretty important to know. Distinguish between anger that's illegitimate and, uh, and sinful and simple disagreement. Right? Don't let it slough over into anger, but at the same time, it doesn't mean you can't disagree. Right? Keep that in mind. Um, in light of Garrison's sermon, referring back to Garrison again, last week, heed the warning of Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. One way fathers and mothers do this is through our own sinful, angry reactions, impatient, perfectionism, legalism, moralism, whatever words you want to apply to it. We don't know what we're doing in our parenting. Let's put it that way. And we don't seem to care about what we're doing. Stop, think, seek the word of God, seek the spirit's power, address that. It's especially an issue, like I said at the very beginning, in parenting. It, it just comes to the surface. The other place it comes to the surface is marriage. Now, I don't think I even need to say much about that. If you're married in here, <clears throat> uh, you know how much uh, marriage can bring out the anger in us that's latent. So again, be careful. Pursue the grace necessary to love each other from the heart. See, go to the root of the issue. Pray for it. Examine yourself. Not morbidly, but honestly. Examine yourself before the Lord. Just as you are commanded to flee temptation generally, flee from the temptation to lash out in sinful anger insofar as you know yourself and the situation that you face. Flee that. What about anger management? Anger management techniques. You've seen these. They're everywhere. Um, breathing exercises, meditation, mindfulness, venting, name it. They're, they're all over the place out there. Depending on how these techniques are defined and described, they may not be bad in themselves, but they don't go to the root of the problem in the end. And some actually perpetuate anger as somehow justified. Be discerning here. There are techniques that can be helpful externally, but don't rely upon them overly much. Be careful which ones. Check them out. Think through them. Be wise, again. Another um, word, of, word of counsel or application or conclusion is to seek genuine life in community, the church, other believers, be honest, be transparent in your relationships. Seek others out if you think you have a problem. Allow them to come into your life. Love each other that way. That's part of love. That's part of our membership vows that we had today. It's part of being a part of a church. Finally, if you can, if you can know ahead of time that you will be in a situation in which you could get angry, don't go there. This is the hedge principle, if you will. If you know ahead of time, this is going to make me really angry for the wrong reasons. Right? Don't go. Stay away. At least until you've dealt with the anger issue in you. In the end, Proverbs is not a self-help manual, and living it out is not a matter of moralism. 
We will all deal with the struggle with sinful anger in our lives. Yes, even Christians struggle with it. The foundations for dealing with it, I've said before, for killing it, is found, are found in the gospel. That's the foundation of it all, just as it is for every sin. You might say you've overcome your anger problem, but have you addressed the root cause? Ask yourself that question. Christ died not just for all his people, but also for every possible sin. That is the basis for overcoming sinful anger. There's always hope for overcoming your sinful anger. But you must first acknowledge the problem. Pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit for your sinful anger. And that the Spirit will make you increasingly discerning and alert to sinful anger. God cares. God cares for each of his children. Go to him. He desires mercy. He desires grace. He desires to come alongside you through his spirit. Go to him. Deal with the anger problem. Seek the wisdom to avoid it. Kill the inner anger problems by the grace of God over time. It takes time, by the way. It's not immediate. It's just isn't the magic fix. You don't go one day to God and say, get rid of my anger. Poof, it's gone. No, but you have to start. We have to start in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we once again give you thanks for giving us this word today. Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work to convict each of us regarding our anger issues, our sinful anger. Father, give us discernment in knowing the difference between sinful and godly anger. Father, um, pray that we would increasingly show the fruit of your spirit in our lives. Your spirit would be powerfully at work in us. We thank you that you've sent that very spirit to do that very thing for us and in us. We praise your name for that. We thank you. And I pray that we would glorify you in our lives and all things. In the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.